Welcome to the Northgate Church Podcast from the heart of Chester in the UK. Yes, I extend my own uh, welcome to everyone here this morning, and in particular, I'm very pleased that my my daughter and uh, her partner, Mark, have come away from Newcastle to spend the weekend with us. I'm also pleased that uh, my son's Matthew, he's here today as well, and his, his girlfriend, Hannah, has come all the way from Chesterfield to spend the weekend with us. So I'm really pleased with that. Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, of course, on Father's Day, the best thing to talk about is the greatest father who has ever lived. Let's just see. Oh, oh uh, yes, yes. And uh, there's my children, and that uh, includes Mark, who's, who's like, a son, like a son-in-law to me. And on the far left is my, one of my nephews, Carl. And we had a family celebration yesterday by going to his wedding. In, in North Wales, so, um, so that was really a, a, a happy family time. And uh, I'm officially the best dad ever. Um, I've got it, it's all, it's all documented, so <laughs> photographic evidence. But if, of course, no matter how good I am, there's, there's the really greatest father of all is not me, of course, it's, it's our Heavenly Father. And that's what I want to talk about uh, today, but it thought it's just, just good to uh, introduce uh, my, my children there. Um, we're going to start, as all stories and all things, it's best to start at the beginning, really. And uh, so we start in, in Genesis. That, that's, that's where we all start from, really. And Adam and Eve, they're in paradise, they're with the Heavenly Father, they were busy naming the animals, they were having a good time. It was, it was perfect, so what could possibly go wrong? And, of course, something did drastically go wrong, and that was sin. And from sin came shame and guilt. And that scene when Adam and Eve, they, they hid from the Lord God who was in the garden they hid because of their shame and guilt. And interestingly, the very first question in the Bible is, where are you? And the you there is not a singular you, it's, it's a, sorry, it is a singular you, it's not a plural you, it's not talking to everyone, he's talking to the individual, where are you? But of course, God, God knows where we are, he knows probably better than us where we are. So why did God ask, where are you? And the problem is, of course, is that relational death came in through that sin. So there was like a cutoff between God and Adam and Eve. And that was the problem. So the question is more to Adam and Eve to answer, where are you in relationship to me? And we should be in no doubt that God knows all about us. Psalm 139 is, is, a, is a beautiful psalm. You know all about me. This, um, all my, um, uh, all the verses are from the uh, Passion Translation that Gerald used a bit earlier. I find it very helpful uh, for me. Uh, so, Lord, you know everything there is to know about me. You know every step I will take before my journey even begins. You've gone into my future to prepare the way. 
and in kindness you follow behind me to spare me from the harm of my past. It's powerful. So, the Lord God, he wants to be involved in our lives. He, he is a loving Heavenly Father. But we've still got this problem of the, the relational death of sin that, that, that spoils that relationship between us and God. So God's he's going to put it right. He's not going to let us stand on that. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45 and 47. Uh, for it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became the life-giving spirit. The first man was from the dust of the earth. The second man is Yahweh from the realm of heaven. Now, first of all, that might seem a bit, a bit strange, um, but what, what Paul is saying there is that our past is the first Adam, all those thousands of years ago, our future is a second Adam, who is Jesus Christ. And quite often we can look to the past, the old Adam, we need to look to the new Adam, which is Jesus. Through the old Adam, we have relational death. Through the new Adam, Jesus, we have relational life. And Jesus brought that about by dying on the cross for our sins. He died and rose again after three days, and death was defeated. So the we don't just have forgiveness of sins, but he brings us into relationship with the Father through what he's done. And, that's, uh, and that gives a completely new identity. We're new, completely new identity in the second Adam and not the first Adam. And that's what we'll be exploring a bit further on as, as we go through. And let's, let's have a look at yeah, Romans 8, 15 to 16. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty, leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. But you received the spirit of full acceptance, enfolding you into the family of God, and you will never feel orphaned. For as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying, the words of tender affection, beloved Father. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us, as he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. There's, there's quite a bit there, really. Um, but I'm not going to... I don't have time to unpack everything, in, in, certainly not in the book of Romans or even just these few verses. But um, quite often, um, as I mentioned right at the beginning, um, people hide from God because of that relational death. And... And one of the ways a lot of people hide is actually through religion and, and, it's, and a lot of other isms that, that, uh, and belief systems. They're, they're all about hiding. And the trouble for all of them is that there's a spirit of religious duty and feeling of never being quite good enough. And it's easy also for Christians sometimes to feel, I'm not quite good enough, really. How can God really love me? Or how can I be really accepted? But the thing is, God does. He does, Father God does love us. And there is a place for us. And he, he fully accepts us. And he has um, what's called in the, in the Greek agape. It's, it's, a, it's a non-conditional love for us. So we've, we've been judged and, and found innocent through what Jesus has done for us. So it's through the Heavenly Father that he gives us this, this new relationship 
of, of sons and daughters. And to, to emphasize that in, in Romans, um, Paul picks up really what, what Jesus taught about how to address God. It's, and that was by calling him Abba. And uh, Abba, translated, is more like Daddy. So the Lord's Prayer should really be more like not our Father, but our Daddy. You know, so, so both Paul and Jesus, they were talking about a very close, intimate relationship that, he, that, that Father God wants with us. Let's see. So um, I'd like to invite uh, Anne to come round to the front now to, um, to tell us a, a story that uh, would be very familiar to, um, to us. Thank you. This is called The Older Son, and it's loosely based on The Prodigal Son. I must have been one of the first to spot this small vagabond walking towards our farm. Even from a distance, I could tell that he had hit hard times, and I guessed he was a peasant coming to beg for work. I carried on working, but I kept an eye on him. I wondered where his tale of woe would be. Folk were often turning up at our farm, and my father had a soft spot for all of them. As this guy got closer, I could see that his head hung low and he had few, if any, possessions. He looked shabby, downtrodden and awkward as he shuffled his way up the lane. Then, just as I was about to remark to my fellow workers that we seemed to have yet another stranger to accommodate, I noticed through the corner of my eye someone rushing past. To my horror, I realised it was my father running. He had gathered up his tunic and was sprinting for all he was worth towards the small fellow walking our way. I couldn't believe it. I'd never seen my father run so purposefully like that. And for a poor unwanted traveller, I wasn't the only one who stood and stared at this shocking sight. What was my father thinking? The small guy also looked surprised and he hesitated as if wondering if he should make a run for it but he was not really fit to run anywhere. He stopped and almost dropped to his knees. I saw his hands go out and he was talking quickly. Then the most astonishing thing happened. My father threw his arms around the stranger and hugged him for ages. He almost picked the guy up as he waltzed him back towards the farm. My father was grinning from ear to ear. And this little bloke was almost carried along under his strong, embracing arm. Then I noticed that the stranger looked slightly familiar. The closer he got, the more I realised that I knew him. This traveller was none other than my little brother. Well, you can't blame me for not recognising him. His hair was matted and his beard was straggly and unkept. And don't forget, he was clean-shaven when he left, and his clothes were dirty and torn. He must have lost half of his body weight. He looked small, skinny, and filthy. Then my father started to shout some orders, and folks started running in all directions. 
My brother looked as bewildered as I felt. They brought out a cloak for him, one of the best, and put it over his dirty clothes. Then they brought him some shoes, brand new ones, and they put him on his scabby feet. And I think a ring went on his finger. I couldn't stand to watch anymore. I went back to my field and carried on working, but inside I was seething. How could he show up like that after all that he'd put us through? And what was my father thinking, just welcoming him back with such forgiveness? I just didn't get it. It was too much for me to get my head around. Perhaps I'll never figure him out. Thank you, Anne. That's brilliant. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so, um, yes, yeah, so to return, I'm going to go to the, the very well known parable of the prodigal son. Oh, I don't, don't really need this anymore. Um, yeah, the parable of the prodigal son. It's uh, one of the most well known um, parables in, in the Bible. It's also known as the parable of a lost son or a lost sons because, in some ways, both sons were lost. This also can be known as the parable of a loving father. Uh, just focus a little bit on verse 18. Um, I want to go back home to my father's house. And pretty much straight away, the disciples of Jesus would have understood that as, as, as a, like a synonym, as a meaning of saying, um, he wants to go back to God. So I think the, the disciples had no doubt that the, the father mentioned in this parable, is, Jesus is talking about um, Father God. Um, and the journey that the prodigal son took, he, he ended up in rags, um, as that story explained. You know, he, he probably was a bit of a pitiful sight, really. It would have taken him weeks, probably, to go from this distant land uh, by foot um, to go home to his um, father's house. He probably wouldn't have no idea, really, what to expect. The most he was hoping for, really, was that uh, he'd be taken on as... Um, as a servant, he had no expectation of being taken on as a son. He, it was shame and guilt about what he had done, how he'd squandered all that uh, wealth that belonged to his father. So he was in a bit of a pitiful state, and, and um, certainly people at that time would have expected, really, most, most would have been um, so ashamed of what he had done that, that most fathers would have, would have not accepted him back at all. So, he was, he was being hopeful that there would be some sort of acceptance from, from the father. So his journey back probably took weeks. Um, I think quite, for me, because um, uh, I, I wasn't born a Christian or brought up as a Christian, uh, it, for me it was probably about a, th a three-year journey going back to the father's house, going to God. And I think sometimes people are on a journey. And uh, for me it was um, looking at is the life and message of Jesus true? Can I trust that? Can I believe that? Because if it was true what Jesus was saying, then I had to do something about it. But a bit like the prodigal son, I didn't really know what was the end of it. I didn't even really know quite when I might may even arrive because it's, if you're not a Christian, you don't quite know sure where you're going really. Um, so um, yeah, I read lots of, books about uh, Jesus. There's a good book by Josh McDowell, Evidence Demands a Verdict. He was an atheist solicitor. 
He ploughed through all the evidence and he could only come to one conclusion, that, that Jesus was, was real and what he was saying was real and he, and he became a firm Christian. Uh, and ironically, I went to a number of churches, but it was at a party that actually <laughs> found someone, a born-again Christian, who actually, uh, God put him at the right place, well, me at the right place, and this, this, this man. Uh, and he actually was, was about 50 miles away from me. And so it's um, quite an encounter in a way. And through him, I became a Christian. Uh, 1986, a long time ago now. But anyway, the, the prodigal son has a lot of inspiration for a lot of uh, writers and, and painters. And uh, this is uh, by Rembrandt. And he, he painted this the last few years of his life. And I'm, I'm sure when he was painting it, he was thinking of his own earthly existence and what it might be like to come to the loving father. And uh, on his knees is the prodigal son. He's in rags, he's contrite, he's full of shame and guilt. And the loving father's got his embracing him, he's got his hands on him. Uh, I'm not quite an expert on this, but quite often they, critics say that one, one hand seems to be more masculine and one hand more feminine. So it could be that what Rembrandt is saying is that uh, there's, there's strength in the love of the father as well as love. As there's the masculine strength and the feminine love in the father for his son. And the background is a bit hard to see. Uh, there is a person right in the middle of the background, just about to see a face. Um, and that um, is probably the, the, the mum, although that mum is not in the uh, story at all. And seated down is... Uh, almost a professional person, probably a lawyer, to, to draw up the, uh, the, the, the papers to, to show the, the sonship of, of the prodigal. And the man standing up is the elder son. He's looking down over it. Um, could say a few things more about it, but I think we'll, we'll leave it at, at, at that. But uh, we continue the, the, the journey. So... The prodigal son, he's, he's, he's returned home, he's, he's probably tired, he's, he's hungry, he's, he's planned what he's going to say to the father, he's going to beg for forgiveness and, and ask to be a servant. And he's, he's really surprised because his father comes running out to him and, and embraces him. And, uh, and then what happens next is, is quite astounding really. And it's all about the restoration of the son. As you can read in Luke 15, 22, there's, uh, there's, there's three symbolic things that take place. So turn to his servants. The father said, quick, bring me the best robe, my very own robe, and I'll place it on his shoulders. Bring the ring, the seal of sonship, and I'll put it on his finger. And bring up the best shoes you can find for my son. So the robe, the ring, and the shoes, they're, they're all significant in different things. The robe is, is about identity. The ring is about authority. And the shoes are about dignity. All important things for us. And it was at this moment, I think, that the son realised the great love of the father that the father had for him. Until then, he just did not know that or did not believe it. 
But he realised then that home was a relationship and not just a place. But next slide, we'll just, just go that just a little bit, drill down a little bit more. So, so shame was removed by what the father did for the prodigal son. Shame was removed. And the, the best robe wasn't just, it was literally the best robe, because it was, and the best robe would have been from the father. The father had the best robe. So the prodigal son, he was cloaked with his father's robe, and that identity was, was given down to him. And the ring, of course, was very important. It, was, it, was, it, was, it gave authority to transact business on behalf of the father. So the authority, he only had to show the ring, and then merchants, anyone else would know that he's representing the father. And as that son, he has um, authority to do the to represent the father. So, and uh, lastly, the sandals, shoes, or even high shoes. Um, the, the graphics were uh, automatically generated by the software on that one. Um, I'm not suggesting that uh, um, high heel shoes were brought out, but um, who, who knows? <laughs> these, these days they might well have been. Uh, but, but anyway, the, the point is he, the, the prodigal son came in um, barefoot. As, and, and that was symbolic of slaves. Slaves barely had shoes, um, they, but they would be barefooted. So, so that's, that's the dignity. He's no longer a slave. He's no longer a slave to sin. He's, he's been set free from, from all that shame. But of course, we've, we've, in the background, we've got... It's almost like a little bit of an afterthought right at the end of the parable. Jesus talks about the older son. And, and that's quite a little sort of sad story in a, in, in a way. And, and, and it sort of shows that the older son was quite lost as well. Um, this was a young man. He, he worked diligently, earnestly. He worked hard. He was trying to earn the love and, and praise of the father. But he, he just didn't appreciate that his father actually already loved him. So sadly, he did not believe the great love that his father had for him. So for him, home was not a relationship, but a place. He, he did not love the father. That's, that's clear in what he's, he said in the parable. And for his brother, he, he didn't even want to acknowledge that he had a brother, because he said that, that son of yours, he, he, he couldn't even call him his brother. He had a sense of entitlement. Well, I'm working hard, so surely I deserve to have all these things. And uh, he obviously did not accept all that his father had for him. And as easy as, as Christians sometimes not to accept all that the father has for us, we can uh, live a bit in our old identity thinking, well, that's for someone else, those gifts, those talents. But they could be just as much for us as for anyone else. So we need to accept what, what is from, from the father. And I uh, just wanted to... I'd like to recommend a, a really great song. It's by Corey Asbury, The Father's House. There's some great lyrics in there. It's a very worshipful, worshipful song. Um, the, the lyrics are brilliant. This is the, the chorus. Um, I've missed off the ooh when he's singing, and I won't sing it because a, a talent of mine is not singing. And there's plenty of wonderful singers here, but singing is not one of my gifts at all. But uh, the, the words are... are 
really meaningful. Lay your burdens down here in the Father's house. Check your shame at the door because it ain't welcome anymore. You're in the Father's house. So um, I, I think that's just a great, great song. And uh, I just want to sort of just sort of summarise a little bit and wrap up. Uh, there's Heavenly Father, he wants a loving relationship with each and every one. He wants a, a, a big family. And he wants a big family of millions and millions of people. And how he keeps tabs on us all, I don't know, but he does want a really big family. And the door's open to him 24-7. He's, he's, he's not a, in that respect, he's not an absent father. He's, he's there. And he wants to be a true father to us. He wants that relationship with us. Uh, and as it says in verse 8, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 18, I'll be a true father to you, and you will be my beloved sons and daughters, says the Lord Yahweh Almighty. Um, so uh, I, uh, I leave that thought with you, and, uh, and if anyone's on the journey to, to the Father's house and to knowing God, I'd say keep, keep going. And if you, someone hasn't started that journey, becoming a Christian, then it's a, a good time to start on Father's Day. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Northgate Church podcast. Find out more at northgate.org.uk or find us on social media by searching Northgate Church Chester.